0: Welcome to the Oddsbreakers, number one place for shared charitable betting information. Welcome back to Podcast 28 of 2022. I'm your host, Kiev O'Neill. You can follow me on Twitter at OBKiev. Follow us on the Ozbreakers. Follow us on social media slash the Ozbreakers. This episode is being brought to you by MyBookie.ag. For a 50% sign-up bonus, please visit MyBookie and use the promo code the odds breakers terms conditions and location apply if you'd like to help us out with the cost and sponsor the website and the podcast we'd love to help you out please visit oddsbreakers.com. click shop and become a member pick any of our premium handicappers to get their plays before the line moves you can also donate to us on patreon.com and if nothing else please visit oddsbreakers.com and become a free picks newsletter subscriber Well, my friends, here we are, baseball week two. Baseball's kind of started out a little bit even for myself. Uh, Not much of a preseason really to go by. Kind of crammed like you're studying before a final exam in college to get my baseball going. But uh, here we are, and uh, I, I feel like we're starting to find some value, and I'm excited for the season. Very close to even right now, but we'll see how... Our plays come out this week for our premium subscribers. UFC went well last weekend, up a few units. Thank goodness to the Dern by Decision at plus 330 and the Volkanovski inside the distance at plus 165. Those were the two big plays that uh, put us into the black. Uh, sometimes you got to find that value in those prop bets. Not not all the time you're going to find any value laying minus minus. 700 chalk on guys like Volkanowski. I thought it was an absolute bargain to get that one of the ones that we didn't hit was our free play on Jan and he really got outsmarted by Sterling Sterling played the uh, his corner played the smart game uh, beat winning by points you know wrestling in the second and the third round obviously there's some controversy over that and Dana White tweeted that the wrong guy won but at the same time Jan was outsmarted so um our play with inside the distance wouldn't have hit anyway but glad to come out of that UFC into the black and we are of course are going to cover more UFC for this weekend in this podcast wanted to quick mention the Masters didn't hit the winner unfortunately we had Laurie and Cam Smith in second and third place on Friday but Scheffler had just that big of a lead and that is why he won and we couldn't hedge he was up by about five strokes at plus 100 on Friday and sometimes you have to decide not to hedge in that situation let's say we would have only took the plus 100 on Scheffler to win that and he would have lost. The next person would have win was Rory McIlroy because he made a massive comeback and we would have lost everything if we decided to hedge on that. So um, unfortunately came up a little bit short on our Cam Smith and Lawry plays and a few other small ones we had, but we did win in our matchups two out of three. We got home on um, Patrick Cantillay beat Xander shuffle. And that was easy. I don't think that Xander even made the cut. Uh, Lawry beat burger which was really nice and the only one we lost was i believe kepka um I, I don't even remember who that was against i think it was against uh rory yeah it was actually kepka versus rory and it was even money and that was the only one we lost so went two two out of three as far as our matchup plays in the masters and i'm certainly not a premium golf uh handicapper play the big ones uh, i give out to customers the ones that I really put my time into, but uh, Patrick Gates has been killing it over at the Oddsbreakers on golf, and he keeps on releasing his fantastic articles. Just released one on the RBC Heritage as well. So if you like golf and you like winning, make sure you check out Patrick on theoddsbreakers.com. We have a great show for you today because the NFL never stops, and neither does Ron Ace Sports because he covers it all year and I'm privileged to have him on this show to discuss the NFL draft and I have a play for you to give out that I made on the draft already. It's only like two and a half weeks away, so time to get our draft work done. I put some work into it last night as well as today. Found three plays. We're giving out one for free on this podcast and we're going to talk to Ron about the draft, about some of the position totals as well as the quarterback so i can't wait to get into that before we bring ron on i just want to let you know that the Oddsbreakers is currently looking for handicappers with experience that might want to get their name out there share their takes on the oddsbreakers.com make a little bit of money whatever it is please feel free to inquire with us if you're looking to broaden your horizons in the sports betting industry all right well without further ado let's bring on our guest mr ron ace sports now i'm excited to welcome back mr ron ace sports from the Ozbreakers and the inside blitz to the podcast you can follow him on twitter at ron Ace sports ron man springtime
1: is in the air nfl draft is in the air how are things treating you uh this is my time of year kiev uh you know, everybody loves that March Madness, those first four days of March Madness. This is my March Madness, the three days of the draft and the two weeks leading up to it and the hype afterwards. Um, can't get enough of the NFL these days, and, and this is my time of season, so I'm good to go. Oh,
0: fantastic. I know it's, it is. It's creeping up on us. I think last year's draft was later, right, because of COVID? If I remember correctly, it was late, late May, but now it's like, what, two and a half weeks?
1: Two and a half weeks, yeah, um, fifteen days to be exact. You know, Las Vegas. From what I hear, they're not getting the buzz yet, but it's going to happen pretty soon. It's there's going to be. They hope what. 500,000 people on the streets. That's what they were hoping pre-COVID. So, it's crazy enough in Vegas. We'll see what happens.
0: Oh my God, I I, I always want, like to avoid the strip, but when but now I have to really avoid it if I go out there. <laughs> you know. No, no, seriousness. Um, you know, I like. NFL for TV, and I'm, gonna, I'm going to be watching the draft on TV with some beers. Uh, there's nothing like that Thursday. You, you know, you get home from doing whatever you're doing. You're, whatever if people have a day job, they come home and do that and eat real quick and just get excited, mountains in front of the TV, text with their buddies, get on their uh, mm-hmm. team groups on their Facebooks or whatever, or whatever uh, social media platform they use, and it's just so exciting. And so it, it's kind of like that first uh, – Welcome back to, especially for fans that have terrible teams, it gives them, it gives people some hope, right? Like if you're a Jaguars fan or Cleveland or, or, you know, uh, even the Miami Dolphins over the past years have been bad. Obviously they've turned it around some, but um, the Lions, right? Uh, You get, you have a little bit of hope left, so that's always good. Um, And then, and then your hope sinks later. But, but anyways, (laughs) as of last year, you, you saw a lot of hype just from the draft and some of these changes as they kind of came through. But speaking of hype, Ron, let's just start with the quarterbacks here in the class of this draft. What are your thoughts about the quarterback class and how does this stack up against quarterback classes from the past?
1: Okay, well, Kiev, this is buyer beware. I mean, we all want to get the next great quarterback and everybody laments that they passed on Mahomes or they passed on, you name the quarterback that's risen up and become a star, even Russell Wilson, This is just not the draft to do it. It's a run-oriented group of quarterbacks. We know 2023 is going to be a great year. We know high schools and colleges are grooming quarterbacks for the new NFL, the more run-oriented. This is kind of a break in the action. We've got five quarterbacks that are probably going to go in the first round. I think it's better than the draft that we saw E.J. Manuel a few years ago, maybe a decade ago now, go 16th. That was the first quarterback selected. I'm comparing this draft to the one that Cam Newton came out of, the 2011 draft. He went first. Jake Walker went eighth. Blaine Gabbert, who's still in the league, went 10th. Christian Ponder, who's long out of the league, went 12th. Colin Kaepernick went near the top of the second round, and we know his story. And Andy Dalton, who was second on my board that year, went somewhere around 35th or 36th, so also top of the second. They went back to back. I think this draft compares to that one, where you're going to see, of the top five, two misses for sure, and probably three.
0: I mean, at least with Cam Newton, they went to a Super Bowl, and he was also the champion. (laughs) <laughs> and, and had some really yeah. good stats that year you know what's funny and and, and this is something that we all got to question ourselves on nobody likes this draft for quarterbacks nobody so that means that this is probably gonna be the best quarterback draft of all time and we don't even, have, we don't even know it right it, it's so funny um it and it you wonder why but the truth is is yeah i mean you don't there you can pick holes in a lot of these and i'll be honest with you ron i'm I, I'm not as infatuated with the quarterbacks in this draft as I am and others either, but you, but there's also reasons why that no analysts like this draft. I think there's there's two big reasons, Ron. I think number one is because C.J. Stroud um, and Stetson Bennett, the the in uh, the Alabama quarterback Bryce Young. They were the best quarterback statistically, and they're not coming out because they're too young, right? So it's almost like it's almost like people are comparing the guys coming out to them. But you have to remember that they also play with five stars, you know, all over the place, you know, Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State. So that's one thing. And number two, I can't remember a, a draft class quite as much hype as Zach Wilson, and you know, obviously. Uh, the Bears quarterback—I don't know why he's escaping my mind right now—and Justin Fields, yes, Justin Fields. Thank you. I'm a Bears fan. I can't remember this. See, see, yeah. I, have to, I have to get my, uh, <laughs> my, my 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 whole football back. Trevor Lawrence, you know, I mean, massive hype for these guys, and they all seem to do terrible. Well, in their situation, right? I mean, it's not like the Jags hit their six point five win total with Trevor Lawrence, you know, or or Zach Wilson did anything to the Jets. And the, there was only one that really turned out well, and there's, of course, the guy under Belichick, right? Uh, Matt Jones. So it's funny. It's like the, these quarterbacks had such high expectations coming into last year, and they faltered just because they're on bad teams, whatever. So I think that also gives a negative look to this class because people are thinking to myself, well, geez, even those guys came out and failed, right? The NFL is tough. Mm-hmm. So, so I, I'm thinking th- those are a couple reasons. Of course, the metrics as well. But I gotta ask you this. What's the difference really between a Bailey Zappy and as and a Zach Wilson? You know, Zach Wilson drafted number two. W- what's the difference in these guys? They're about the same size. They had about the same numbers. I Bailey Zappy actually broke records at Western Kentucky. You know like six thousand yards, 70% completion. You know, it, it's like the, the man was amazing. And if you look at what Zach Wilson did in BYU, he had, his schedule was easier than Western Kentucky's last year. And it's like, how the hell is he drafted number yeah. two And Bailey Zappi's, like, not even in the top five in most analysts? Yeah, I, I look at it as I scratch my head. It's
1: like, wow, has the narrative changed, Ron. Well, uh, I'm a big believer, whether it be football, business, or anything, in person-team fit, person-organization fit. And I think what happened is, Last year's quarterback class has yet to reach its peak because the organizations they were drafted to, Jacksonville, the Jets, um, Chicago, they, they didn't have the structure in place for a quarterback to succeed. It could have been coaching. It was clearly offensive line. Most of them were missing tight end, which is a quarterback's, a young quarterback's best friend. They were set up to fail. And that's the problem with any of these quarterbacks coming out of this draft If they go to an organization that doesn't have the right setup in place, they're going to look bad no matter what. I still have high hopes for last year's class, with the exception of Zach Wilson, who, like you astutely said, his BYU schedule just propelled him to those stats. It wasn't a good schedule. It was one year of work. He was fighting for his job, whereas Zach You know, you're talking about him. He's had two years of work and thousands of passes, and he's a really good short area of passes. I did do a deep dive on him. I was thinking maybe I can move him up, but his pocket presence wasn't enough for me and his deep ball accuracy wasn't enough for me. So in the end, I couldn't move him up. But if he gets with the right situation, he's going to be a competent backup quarterback in a league, a physical league where you need two quarterbacks on your roster. Um, but this person team fit? And that's why the ranking of this year's quarterback class for me is not over until I see who is drafted by which team.
0: I agree 100% with your statement. The, the jury is completely out on these guys. I mean, look at their situations. And unfortunately, the best quarterbacks from college go to a lot of the worst teams. That's and right. and you, they weren't ready. You know, the Jaguars had a lot of picks, but they weren't ready. They had a terrible coach. Uh, the Jets were the Jets. They just switched their coach that year. There was no nothing built up beforehand, right? And so maybe, maybe Wilson still has a chance, but it's not looking great. The Bears obviously switching coaches again right in the middle, put, put Justin Fields just in the middle of a terrible offensive line and just uh, a wide receiver that wouldn't even play in Allen Robinson because of how disgruntled he was and just – Just an absolute old aging defense. You know, it was just bad situations. The only great situation was Mac Jones coming to a great coach and a great organization. And that worked
1: out pretty well, didn't it? Sure did. And and Pat Mahomes thanks Kansas City for drafting him. And Lamar Jackson thanks Baltimore for drafting him because it sped up their learning curve. It did. It absolutely did. So um,
0: it's just you're fortunate almost to go later to maybe a Steelers or, or, or a good organization that knows how to take care of you, and then right. you can, can certainly shine and be put in a better situation. So we'll see if the Jaguars, the Jets, the Bears, and some of these other teams that drafted high, hell, the Niners. You know, I mean, we'll see what happens if they can turn their quarterback around. I would expect I would expect Trey uh, Lance to turn around, mm-hmm. but we don't know that yet. All right, so that well, that leads us into. Your top quarterbacks, Ron. You know, it's funny. I'll tell you mine. Um, I'll let you go first, but I'll I'll just tell you that my number one is way different than everybody else's. So let's see who your top five quarterbacks are.
1: Okay. Well, this is a very reluctant list for the very reasons we (laughs) talked about. (laughs) Um, Luckily, maybe some of these guys are going to sit, like Trey Lance, which will help his development. Right now, I have a Pickett, Kenny Pickett a little bit higher than everybody else because of his years of experience. I am curious where he goes. I know he played at the university of Pittsburgh, but we talked about this before he didn't play many cold weather games because Pittsburgh season was over before Thanksgiving and it doesn't get that cold before Thanksgiving in Pittsburgh In the NFL, you're going to play seven games after Thanksgiving. I don't know if I can keep Malik Williams at two. Obviously, he has the live arm and he has incredible buzz, uh, but he misses a lot of throws. I'm kind of high on Desmond Ritter at three. I'm not as high as others on Matt Corral, and I'd like to jump Hal of North Carolina above him, but I need to see where he goes. Those are my top five. Carson Strong, six. Zap, seven. It's a fluid situation, but that's where I'm at right now.
0: Yeah, and I picked a lot of holes into these guys as well. And to be honest with you, I I struggle with my top three. And I think I could move them around depending upon the situation. Funny enough for me, I have Carson Strong number one. And I'm one of the very few people that, that do. The reason I do is because of all the adversity he faced. He tore his knee up in high school. And that dropped his um, ability to go to a number one college. He dropped down to a three-star from a four-star or something like that. So he ends up settling in Nevada, but he did have a great two years there. I like his size at 6'4", 9.5-inch hands. He looks the part to go to kind of an air raid to pro-style offense. From what he did in Nevada, because you remember Nevada had a good running game too. He did a lot of great things, and his seventy percent completion percentage, thirty six to eighteen to interception ratio, I thought was really good. So just his translation with the size, the hands, the what he's went through, um, and his completion percentage. And it's not like the Mountain West was terrible. Boise State's been good. You remember San Jose State was good for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I just think he's possibly the number one guy. Now I'll throw Malik Willis in at number two, but only really for one reason. And it's because he's kind of the fits the new age scheme. If you look at like what people look at Lamar Jackson and Kyler Murray, right? The guy that can check down once or twice and then smart enough to run and gain eight chunks of eight yards. I can see that in Malik Willis. But what I also liked about Malik Willis is I watched Liberty. They've only been division one for four years they don't have a good football team. That team was all Malik Willis the last two years. I mean, he did. He played with very, very below average talent at Liberty. Very below. And so I almost thought that their success was just basically on uh, because of him. And his quarterback rating was actually higher than Lamar Jackson's in his college career than Lamar's. Now, obviously, we didn't know Lamar would be this great, and his draft stock wasn't all that high. So... I could see him fitting into a scheme if they use him correctly. And that's why I wonder if Matt Rule is going to draft him and try to be a little bit more of a wild card this year. I almost think that the Panthers would have to go for something like that um, in spot six because they don't have the later draft picks. It's do or die for the coach on the hot seat. He needs to go wild card in this situation. Number three, I have Desmond Ritter, Ron, and he's 6'4", 10-inch hands, Four point five two forty. That was really surprising for me. Uh, He he moves really fast, and he knows when to run. And he was obviously on a great winning team in Cincinnati. But he came back in some games. That Notre Dame game, uh, second leading rusher on the Bearcats the last two years. He's got the Josh Allen type, you know, um, with some upside there. You know, he's compared to Josh Allen, and I agree with that. He's tall, big, smart, makes great decisions. He could turn out really good in the NFL. Um, number four, I actually have Matt Corral, six foot oh, He's listed at nine and a half inch hands, four point six four forty. A little slower, I mean, compared to Ritter and Willis, but. I mean, dual threat quarterback, deadly accurate in the seam routes. I like what Matt Corral was able to throw in the seam routes, and I think that's an NFL pass. And I know under Lane Kiffin's air raid offense, you know, it, it doesn't always translate, but I, I seen him really fit some tight balls in there. So I was really impressed by him. And I have Kenny Pickett number five, and the reason is is because of his hands, Ron. Um It's 8.25 inches, and that really worries me. If you remember guys like Kyle Allen for Carolina constantly fumbling the ball, you have to make a faster pass uh, than college, right? You have to get the ball in and out, up and out. That usually leads to possibly fumbling the ball. And with Kyle Allen doing that on Carolina a lot, and they move from him, um, that makes me think Caroline's not going to pick him uh, because of that really small hands. I think my hands are bigger than 8.25. <laughs> I'm, I'm not I'm not exactly dunking basketballs, palm and footballs throwing them that well, but um, I, I but here's another question I have on Kenny Pitt Pickett. Was it be, was a lot of his success due to Mark Whipple? their offense coordinator that Nebraska quickly sw- uh, swept up this year. So I'm, I'm wondering that, too. I, I think Pickett did a great job. The fake slide was really cool, obviously. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, I, I do like his 42-7 to seven touchdown interception ratio, ratio. And I have Bailey Zap 6. Because I don't know what to do with them, and I and I think he was yeah. he did great for what he did, but it was all system based, really, for Bailey Zappi. So um, I I couldn't move Bailey Zappi up either. But about I still like my comparison uh, being like his numbers were the same, situation very similar to to Zach Wilson, and the whole perception has changed on that. So so that's where I'm staying here, and uh, we'll see. I, I mean, Carson Strong's my wild card, so I, I
1: wanted to be a little different. Well, yeah. Okay. Well, let me give you a few comments because I'm not going to disagree with anything you say because it's a quarterback shuffle. Where are they going? Last September, I had Carson Strong number one. So I'm not in a disagreement at all. What I don't like is he took too many sacks late in the year. I like to compare them against teams that I think have pro-style defenses. And he... I hate to use just one game as an example, but San Diego State is a measuring stick for me because they play NFL football defense with with the defensive backs that they have. And I thought he was a little slow to process out of the pocket. If you give Carson Strong a good offensive line, I think I know Willis can throw a mile, but I think Carson Strong throws the best deep ball of the quarterback class. So I do like him in that regard. Okay. And cool. The Desmond Ritter comparison for me is actually Andy Dalton, a guy who knows how to run. Dalton ran a lot at TCU. He ran on Wisconsin in the bowl game. He he won that bowl game with a much smaller roster.
0: Uh, don't remind me. I was efficient. I was I was there. So uh, at the I was lot. there
1: too. <laughs> okay. Well, there you go. <laughs> I may have sat next to you. I didn't know you at the time. <laughs> two thousand eleven. <laughs> two thousand eleven. I believe two thousand eleven. That was yeah, fantastic game. And, and you could see what Dalton's skill set was, was right there. And I think with Ritter's four-year body of work, as Mike Tomlin, the Pittsburgh Steelers coach, would say, four-year body of work, which he covets, um, I think put him in a situation where Ritter is smart, like you said, and he makes the right decisions. And he can run in a quarterback league now. That means you have to be a little bit more mobile than Big Ben and people like that. Um, that's why Ritter belongs in that group and has first-round consideration for me. Matt Corral, I'd like to lower him, to be honest, because I think he's he's too much of a runner and too much of a short area thrower. And he has, I love the accuracy, but he's going to have to fit in the right scheme. Um, all of these guys, they have warts, they have flaws. And when we're trying to pick who's number one or who's number two, we're really, I think, trying to pick. Who's the one or two that's going to make it? Because I still think only about two of them are going to make it. Only based on the system
0: as well, you know, they have to be bought in the right system, and yeah. that's going to that's going to say who's going to make it. Um, you know, it, it's interesting to me of all these, like I can name at least four organizations that need a quarterback. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. Seattle, uh, Pittsburgh, now especially with the tragedy, um, Carolina. It, you know, it, there's and there's one more. The Lions. It's like a lot of these are bypassing quarterbacks this year because they don't like the class either. So I'm really excited to see if they're just being super quiet about it and if there's any like, you know, noise that they're trying to throw out there just to try to distract people from a quarterback they want. That's that's really interesting. Cause if they spend too much time with these guys, the media will pick up right away and they'll be like, This guy's going there, and then all of a sudden the odds change and all that fun stuff. So um that well that's kind of brings us into the draft and i'm really excited to hear some of your thoughts on it and we're going to talk about the positions about uh, the totals on the quarterbacks running backs wide receivers a few things like that but before we get to
1: that i'm going to ask you what would you do if you were the jaguars drafting number one uh what i would do is erase 2020 and hire a new coach (laughs) in 2021 but since we can't uh you know, erase the Urban Meyer from the record books. Uh, I think you have to protect your investment. I know Edge Rusher is probably the right move. And for personal reasons, I'd rather have Hutchinson go number one. And it wouldn't be a bad move to go Edge Rusher to pair him with the other Josh Allen with Jacksonville. But if Jacksonville wants to succeed, they have to keep Trevor Lawrence upright. So it has to be offensive line or it has to be defensive line at number 1.
0: Okay, and I agree with you for sure on that. I think offensive line more for me. You got to keep Trevor up, but at the same time, there's nobody that sticks out. So what what if Carolina offered you a their second round pick to swap 6 to 1? And so you draft six and you get two seconds because they think somebody's after a quarterback they want. Would you make that move if you're
1: Jacksonville? Um, No, because Carolina doesn't have a second or a third round pick. That's Carolina. Oh, oh, okay. You're right. They're sitting at six and I have Carolina going from six to 16 and drafting a quarterback because they need they have more needs than draft picks. Right, right. So Uh, so. they can't stay at six. They got to go backwards.
0: Yeah, you're right. I, w- I agree that Carolina would have to do that. But le- I'm trying to put in a situation. You're trying to find a
1: trade partner. I'm trying, trying to fi- am trying though, right? I'm trying
0: to find a trade partner and so better asked, mm-hmm. what if you somebody would offer that? And they're not dropping too far down. You know, I have to obviously look at the uh, who who's around Jet, who's around Carolina here that might need a a quarterback here. Seattle um i don't know i hope seattle has a second because i gotta double check that but they have two of them 40
1: uh, and 41
0: well there there you go so so if seattle moves up to number one you drop down to nine would you would you make that trade if you're jacksonville
1: i would make the trade in a heartbeat if i'm jacksonville if i'm seattle they're going to get some unintended comedy in my draft post draft report because no quarterback is worth a number one pick Uh, and in fact, if I'm Seattle, I'm not taking a quarterback even at eight or nine or whichever one they are, but if I'm Jacksonville, yes, I'm making the trade,
0: right? Absolutely. I am. And I'm, and that's what I'm getting at here. Jacksonville needs a lot and, um, they need to protect Lawrence. They at least have Josh Allen at defensive end, right. As as an edge rusher. And they kind of run a hard. I think they run a hybrid four, three, three, four. Type situation. I'm not even sure what they're doing yet or with the new coach, to be honest with you, Ron. I'm not sure if right. you know. But um, I think, uh, you know, either way, they have an edge rusher. They need to protect their quarterback and they need more draft picks. So th- my point, I guess, is, yeah, you're probably stupid to, to trade a number one for a quarterback, but people do fall in love with quarterbacks, as we've seen many times. Yeah. And uh, if you're Jacksonville, you're just trying to trade down, right? I would try to trade down if I was Jacksonville. I would try to trade down if I was Detroit. I try to trade down if I'm Houston. To be honest with you, I don't think a defensive end really sticks out to me because, you know, Aiden Hutchinson. He did great at Michigan. Let's let's face it; his numbers were fantastic. But you know he's not the fastest guy around. You know the reason Trayvon Walker moved up is because he ran the four five forty, right? You know you look at uh, Kay- Kayvon Thibodeau. he ran the four five forty when uh, Hutchinson was about a four seven. You know it, it's uh, it, it, there's just there's just kind of red flags on everybody. I mean, to be honest with you, you look at a, a, a guy like uh, George Karolafis from Purdue. He had a lot harder time at being on a Purdue defense than Hutchinson did for Michigan. And I thought he was fantastic last year. I I I think I, they kind of grayed out the same, but at the same time, there's three or four offensive linemen that are pretty near the top here. The guy from NC State, the guy from Alabama, um, Evan Neal, I'm thinking about. Yeah, I, I just right. I just think if I can drop down, I can get more draft picks and still get someone really good. Does that make sense?
1: Mm-hmm. Makes a lot of sense. Um, we're trending to a draft like Eric Fisher's draft where an offensive line went one-two. It's not a glamour draft. It's a great, it's an incredibly deep draft that goes 250, 260, 270, 280 strong, which is, you know, doesn't sell tickets and stuff like that, but it sells rosters. And Jacksonville needs to hit on every pick, not just the first pick. Uh, yeah. They have one and 33 right now. And if they do go offensive line at one, 33 is too late to get an impact edge rusher. So they have to manipulate the board a little bit. And the only way they could do it is try to trade with a Philadelphia or, I mean, they may have to go way back or something. Is 16 and 18 better than one and 33? No, it's not better than one and 33. But uh, so they could probably only go down to seven, eight, nine. But if I were those teams, I wouldn't trade back with them.
0: <laughs> right, right, right. For sure. It's going to it's funny. Cause I, I feel like these phones are going to sit there and they're going to want people to call them the trade. <laughs> it's going to get down to a minute left, 30 seconds mm-hmm. left. They're like, all right, we got to make a pick. And, yeah. uh, that's what we might end up seeing here. Well, all right, good stuff, man. Great hearing your opinion and thoughts on all that. Let's get into some of the positions then on the draft and, Going to throw out some numbers from DraftKings. And I think that we should just, let's just start with the quarterbacks here. And I, I think the most common, and I, well, here's what I did first, Ron. I took the top. I I took Mel Kiper because he he only ranked 84th last year in success from his draft but he's the most popular one cuz he's ESPN. <laughs> I took Charles Campbell from Walter Football that ranked number 1. I took uh Ryan Wilson from CBS. I took Charles Davis from NFL.com and I took Chad Reiter, who had a bad season last year in the draft from NFL.com and I'm a- I'm averaging where they have quarterbacks, running backs, uh, tight ends, mm-hmm. and offensive line. So what I got for quarterbacks exactly three. Some guys had two. One guy had five, which I really would like to throw out, and maybe I'll redo this later. Mm-hmm. And then, and then, uh, you know, it it's, it kind of looks like it averaged out at three, but I think it's actually a little bit towards the under. So what I'm seeing here for odds is that it looks like two and a half is where the position total is on the quarterback and it's my it's very juiced at minus two fifty to the over and under is plus one ninety. How many quarterbacks get drafted in the first round?
1: In my perfect world, quarterbacks get drafted at 16, 20, 30, and 32. 16 on a Carolina trade back 20 Pittsburgh stays and drafts a quarterback 30 somebody jumps up and takes Kansas City's uh, first round pick because they have 29 and 30 and 32 because Detroit takes a quarterback at 32 they could take one at 34 instead so that gives me as many as four probably closer to three but Um, This is not one of those 50-50 propositions. If you're laying minus 250, you have to be, what, 80% sure, 90% sure. Every time you make a play, you have to be considering return on investment. And you have to be right so many times that it's over two that I don't see the value there. But if you pressed me, I'd say three quarterbacks will go in the first round.
0: Okay, and and that's fair. And I didn't make a play on it because I'm a little bit over two and a, uh, yeah, I'm I'm enough over two and a half where under two and a half is at plus one ninety is not good. You know, you need to be seventy five percent at minus three hundred. So here's so it's the way I look at it is the narrative on the quarterbacks being so bad could just filter into all these GMs because the, let's just face it, the GMs do follow the media plenty, and and me and you both agree too. This is not the greatest quarterback class. It's not even somewhat good compared to some of them from what we see. I mean, right. But I see two for sure. And it's it's pushing it to get the three. And I do think that that 34 might hit. I think it might be the 34 and not the 32 that hits with the Lions. Yeah. Does not that make sense? I I think that's a dangerous one because, but at the same time, the Lions can try to get cute and not draft that quarterback at number 32. And then someone trades with Jacksonville's 33. You know, and then, yeah. and then jumps them to get the quarterback. So you wonder if they're going to panic to do that. So that that's good. I, I am not going to take uh, a play on that right now until unless we get closer and we have more or better information. So good stuff. Um, how about offensive line? The total is under seven and a half minus one forty or over seven and a half plus one ten. My number here, Ron just by averaging everybody is seven
1: on the dot, which tells me there's no value on this one either. I see no value whatsoever. I think because there are four offensive tackles that could go as high as the first nine picks. Really? I'm the guy from Mississippi state. There's the guy from the lower level college. Um, yeah, I think his name is Penning. I can't remember the college exactly. I thought it was North
0: Dakota um, State or something. I have to double
1: check. Yeah, that. one of those North Dakota State, Northern Iowa. One of those North is in the name, I think. So we got that. That's <laughs> four. And you know, there's there's going to be a center that's going to be considered out of Iowa. Um, there's one guard in there. There's a couple later tackles. It really looks like a seven or eight. It's it's like you said. It's way too close to call.
0: Yeah, I agree. And you you're right. It was Northern Iowa, Trevor Penning um is that is that one i think it's too close to call right now i personally like offensive line i think it's smart to draft them in the beginning and i i I personally if i'm if i'm all the gms at once it goes way over seven so that's that's how much i value the trenches if i'm making this draft there ron um let's go to a position group i hate and I hate this group so much that I always lose on betting their under. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. and it's not smart for me. And I didn't do it last year, I don't think. But the wide receiver group, and I was so frustrated. And it was I think it was 2020 where there were seven or eight wide receivers picked in the first round, and I took the under. I, it might have been under seven and a half or six and a half. I can't remember, but. I remember being upset about losing it because I was like, wide receivers do not move the needle. What's going on? So at the end of the season, what I did is I looked at every single team that made a first round pick on a wide receiver. All seven of them did not make the playoffs. You know, so I was like, I felt redemption after that, but I still lost my bet, which, you know, still pisses me off. But at the same time, I don't think wide receivers move it. I don't think it's a great wide receiver class either. But you're getting a pretty, lowered, a pretty low number on wide receivers, 5.5, and the over is minus 180. How much flash do these GMs have to go after a wide receiver that they think is going to really help their team out?
1: Okay, well, you have to do a mind melt with the GMs to know what they're thinking. This is an ever-increasingly offensive league So, people were, GMs are valuing wide receivers, even if we, who study win totals and correlation with win success, um, feel that wide receivers do not move the needle. Uh, The splash is wide receivers, quarterback, the splash is offense right now. So, I take that. And then the GMs, they're changing so much now. We got five, six, seven new GMs. So, it's a little tougher on that regard. The line has moved drastically from what was plus 120. Uh, way back when, where I thought that had value because I see an exact number six going in the first round. Um, The two Alabama guys, the two Ohio State guys, um, there's a couple of others in there too. Uh, Dodson from Penn State is getting a lot of buzz. Even George Pickens is getting buzz, even though he's barely stayed on the field. Somebody might sneak in there. We know Kansas City and Green Bay both need wide receivers and they both have multiple picks. So if they don't trade out of the first round, I just think a six-wide receiver is going to sneak in toward the end of the round. And the original number of plus 120 uh, seemed to give me a little bit of a return on investment uh, edge at that point.
0: Yeah, I mean, Burks from Arkansas is one. Yes, I like him. There's quite a few. And, yeah, I mean, Jameson Williams, they have penciled in. I don't know if Mechie is um he i think he's in some of them i'm not sure if he's first round drake london is one from USC. oh yeah that's the other one yeah 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 yeah. i I was just trying to like think to myself i can see quite a few of them but none of them really stick out all that much to me personally i actually think next year's wide receiver class might be better but um the number that i have averaged for those five gentlemen is 5.8 so another one where it the What they say points to the over, but so does the juice here at minus 180. And, um, you know The real juice on it is probably, if, if I was going to correlate 5.8, it is probably around minus 150 um, by going over yeah. 5.5. It's probably yeah. closer to that. So I'm going to, <laughs> another one, unfortunately, I'm going to stay away from. We do have a comment here from, a, it just says Facebook user, uh, one of our fans on our group. Trubisky's going to be a major surprise in Pittsburgh here. Well, I'll tell you this, and it's like I always say, the Bears' coaching was so bad that you really still don't know if the, if he was that if he wasn't good. I, I say there's only a 33 percent chance that he can be good now, but still, the, his coaching gave him no confidence. Mag, Nagy was terrible. They went through offensive coordinators, and then you saw him uh, preseason on Buffalo just absolutely shred the Bears' number one defense, and they did put the number one defense out. The Bears did not want to get embarrassed by Trubisky, and they got absolutely torched by him so maybe the kid is going to be good I, mm-hmm. I i think that's an optimistic thing to say from this user but at the same time i i wouldn't i wouldn't necessarily completely doubt you so uh we'll see if trubisky wins that position that's going to be the most interesting position uh, battle i think is starting quarterback for the steelers i'm excited to yeah. see what happens and maybe maybe trubisky's showing them that they don't need to draft the quarterback too so maybe that thing moves down a little bit here from that Steelers draft position. Let's move over to running backs here, Ron. And I got to tell you, man, I look at the combine results. I look at uh, what these guys accomplished during the season, and they all blend into me. The The year that Jonathan Taylor was with Clyde Edwards-Alaire, I thought Taylor was the better one, but Clyde edwards Hilaire snuck in on pick 32 anyway. But the Colts got the better better deal drafting a few picks later. But with running backs, man, I just think that Kenneth Walker, Brees Hall, Zamir White from Georgia, James Cook from Georgia all just really seem to blend into me. And I think it's a mistake for somebody to draft a running back in the first round. Now, I am a little worried about the fact that maybe Buffalo will but they've already have done some high picks on running backs and their defensive backs is more of a need in my opinion. So I think they wait to the second. Not one draft analyst of the five I have have a running back in the first round. Mel Kuyper did, but this morning Mel Kuyper redid his rankings and he took his running back out. So I had to switch it to zero before this show with you. I'm taking under minus .5. Or sorry, I'm taking under 0.5 for minus one ninety. I'm going to lay minus one ninety to win hundred, obviously. And I'm going. That's my bet.
1: I, I think uh, there's no running backs the first round. Okay, well, can go a different number of different directions. The whole uh, Clyde Edwards Hilaire uh, example that you gave—that's the scary thing. Because nobody had him going first. They had him going fourth. Um, He was the last pick, if I remember, of the first round. You get some running back surprises. You won't get that from Detroit at 32, but you never know as far as a trade or anything like that. That's why, you know, Brees Hall tested unbelievable. He tested better than he, faster than he played, even though I do like Brees Hall. The value for me was in finding somebody who could beat Brees Hall as being the number one running back selected. I'm more like 60-40 that there won't be in the first round. So I don't have the same value return on investment figures. I can't make that play. I took uh, Walker as the first running back selected at plus 250. Thought that was a good deal. Today, when I was researching before we were going on the air, I saw some plus 280. So there's even better numbers than what I got on Walker being the first running back. And another running back, Spiller, is like 15 to 1, and I wouldn't necessarily rule that out. Is there a 1 in 15 chance that he gets drafted as the first running back? Um, He was underutilized at Texas A&M, so maybe he goes. I'm not sold as Brees Hall being number one. Therefore, I'm not really sold on a running back in the first round, but I would be too scared to bet it
0: yeah i i agree um i don't think spiller ran the 40 in his combine which might have hurt him he a little run. which i think that hurt him a little yeah. bit um it, it kind of if you're a running back and don't run a 40 it, it feels like you have something to hide sometimes uh or or a wide receiver but obviously if you're uh a quarterback and you don't do the bench press it's not a big deal because <laughs> <laughs> I mean, right. nobody cares about that but there's certain yeah. there's certain things that you should do um from a position if you want to not hurt or even try, obviously try to help your draft stock. And he didn't do that, but Spiller was awesome. And he was amazing running back Texas am He was just, I should have threw him in the conversation as well. Because he was just as good. But that almost gives me more confidence that there won't be one in the first round. I do like your number that you'd have. It's actually plus two hundred on DraftKings on Walker. It's so yeah, it's worse here. So so I think that could be a smart I can't one.
1: remember if it was FanDuel or somewhere else, but this morning it was plus two eighty somewhere.
0: Okay. All right. So shop around if you want to jump on Ron's play with that. Let's move on to another group here and there's, like, one book I saw at minus 700 under .5 tight ends. Not one person I follow <laughs> has tight ends in the first round. It's not like last year. And I think, based on narratives with what happened last year, the fourth pick of the draft um, from the Falcons, you know, they drafted the best tight end on the board, and he didn't do a ton. He, I mean, he looked good, but they didn't utilize him enough, I think and um, th- I think that's really hurting the draft, and I just don't see any tight ends that great in the first round and maybe not even in the
1: second. Yeah, it's uh, interesting. Kyle Pitts of uh, Atlanta, he actually started up blazing, but then he hit the rookie wall a little bit, and that's going to happen in a 17-game season over 18 weeks uh, facing NFL competition. The issue there was supply and demand. After Kyle Pitts, there was no one in the ballpark I love this year's tight end group, but we're talking about first tight end around pick 50 because they're all very close together. You can make a case that 10 of them are going to 10 of them are going to have really nice careers in the NFL and I have my eye on several of them, but not one of them stands out. And therefore If I'm an NFL GM, I don't want to be at the top of the chain drafting a tight end. I want to get in like as the second or third tight end drafted because I want to get in right before the floodgates open. But I don't need to be the first one because they all look very similar to me.
0: Mm -hmm. I agree. I agree. I mean, Konku, Woods, Bellinger from, from San Diego State. Um I think it's Dulce, Dulce, I believe, from UCLA if I'm not seven. sure if I said it right. Um uh, Connor Hayward from Michigan State. They're all kind of bunched up there and um that means that teams are going to wait them out. Yeah, I yeah. agree cuz tight ends not something that is is a massive position group that you need a bunch. I mean some still just do one tight end sets on their pass plays. Uh, you know not everybody's the Patriots and um It's just not. It's just going to be ignored. But that's why it's minus seven hundred on the under. So no, no value there. And I also agree that there's not going to be any picked out here. Let's move on to cornerbacks, and I find this one interesting here because I, I I see some all over the board, but it's usually I looked at a lot of draft rankings. Most had fours and most had fives. I saw maybe a couple stray sixes and a stray three, but. My average from the five guys that I did full in-depth analysis is 4.4 cornerbacks. And the number on DraftKings, I believe, is 4.5 as well. So what would you do here? And I'll let you know if there's some juice here. It's minus 150 to the under 4.5. And I'm at 4.4. What are your thoughts?
1: Okay. I don't know if I should air this out publicly. So let me say this tactfully, <laughs> the five, the five mocks that you are looking at take with a little bit of grain of salt because there's, there's, there's better, and more comprehensive stuff out there. You know, the people that aren't necessarily swayed by the media and so on. So you, I would go with a different sample. On the other hand, this is an interesting cornerback group. And a lot depends on what happens at quarterback, in my opinion. If we don't see those trades at quarterback at 30, 29, 31, and so on, then I think you're going to see six cornerbacks off the, off the board. Mm-hmm. I'd err with a floor of four, and I would say I would have a strong lean to taking the plus uh, one, whatever it would be, plus 115, plus 120 on over four and a half.
0: Plus 120, right at, right on it there. And uh, that's interesting. Okay. Well, you know, the one side, there's actually a really good rating for the media guys, and I included some of the top ones that were closest to rec. Maybe, Ron's probably got a, a little bit uh, more of an inside scoop to what some of these GMs are going to do, which is always good, and uh, that's why you're on this podcast, Ron. But uh, that's interesting that you said that because 4.5, I was leaning to the over here, especially at this plus money. Um, My number is 4.4 just from them, but uh, you're right. If some of those trades don't happen in for corner for that, uh, I think it could go over. Let's move on to safeties then, which is the final one, Ron. And safeties, the number is 1.5. And it's minus 250 to the over and under is plus 200. There is one weird situation with safety here. Um, and it's, it's a guy that would be drafted that played safety for a cornerback. And he was from Michigan here. I'm, his name's Dax something, um, uh, uh D- Daxton Hill. Dax Hill. Yes, Daxton Hill. So it's just as defensive back in a lot of these things, but he would be counted as a safety
1: would he not. This is the one where you, whatever sports book you're dealing with, offshore, statewide or whatever, read their rules and don't be afraid to ask the question beforehand. I, like many others, have got burned on wording the language that you don't see when you make the play. Is he a cornerback? Is he a safety? Are they going to decide afterwards? Um, this is the scary part. That's why I don't do defensive lineman props edge rushers versus linebackers versus defensive tackles. You have to be careful. I list for my prospect review and my rankings, I list Hill as a safety, just to let you know. But if it's up to the sportsbook discretion, I would say be careful. I would
0: definitely ask, and that's a great call. And that's why you also don't see a lot of props on defensive end slash defensive line. Because if it says edge, they count him as an outside linebacker a lot. And if it says DE, they count him as a defensive line. But they might say, well, if the team drafted him as an outside linebacker because they run a 3-4 defense run, then you're screwed. Yeah. So in that yeah. situation, you better, yeah. better check on that. But at the same time, the way I look at it is he played safety in college. So just for the sake of this podcast, he has looked as a first round in many situations, and a lot of them counted him as that. My number is exactly 2. So, do you have a number on Safeties?
1: I would I would say the most likely number for me is 1, but what the juice on the oh, if you wanted to take over is it going to be plus 200 plus 220? What do you have? Let for? me let me pull that up again. It is over
0: 1.5 minus 250 so it's it says there's going to be more I mean, than 1.5 yeah two i mean under 1.5 if if one's the true
1: answer you get two to one it's uh plus you get two to one on under yeah yeah you're, you're i think one. it's i think for me the value would be on the under yes um not only hill but there's one or two others that can sneak in you never know but i would bet because of supply and demand and because there's still a stigma attached to safety that it's not as important as other positions, which I strongly disagree with the same way with tight end. I strongly disagree because tight end and safety are ever increasingly important, but not to GMs and not to how much money they have to pay these guys in the the realm of salary. So I would say plus 200 would be value. I would strongly look at the under from my perspective right now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean plus
0: 200 gives you a big edge being I, I think this should be more closer to even being that I see some ones out there I see some twos out there and I see some threes out there well the average that is two but I mean it is the put the it just depends upon the price of the push between the two and the 1.5 there I under 1.5 at two to one happens probably more often than not there so Interesting, more than 33% of the time. So that's really interesting. Okay. Well, Ron, we covered the positions. Do you have any other plays that you made in the draft? I mean, it doesn't matter if, uh, uh, I guess, the numbers change. I know you have a couple good numbers out there that we can't even get anymore.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I have about 12, 13 plays. And I think for purposes of this show, I want to point out two of them. One, that's a bad deal. Because, you know, I don't want to pretend that everybody who ever bets the draft gets all good deals. So let me give you the bad deal one first. And that's I took Cincinnati that their first pick would be an offensive lineman at plus 115 very early in March. And I tweeted it out at the time and I got some comments. Where'd you get it? And so on and so forth. And it was available for a few days and then the juice changed. Obviously, we all saw what happened in the playoffs in the regular season. The offensive line was clearly Cincinnati's weak link. One, one week later, I thought to myself, well, wait a second. I still think it's a good deal, but Cincinnati doesn't draft sixth, first, third, or whatever. They draft 31st now, and I may have forgotten to put that in. 30 teams draft ahead of them, and they they don't know what they're going to be getting. They don't usually trade in the drafts, so... What if offensive linemen, they're not going to be there? So instead of what I thought was a return on investment of about, um, I had a very big, like a 70% return on investment edge, according to what I thought, became still about a 30% return on investment edge. I was still satisfied with the play. Now, fast forward to after the first two weeks of free agency, when they've taken three (laughs) offensive linemen in free agency, two of them surefire starters, And when I was compiling my NFL preview report on Cincinnati, to me, cornerback is the number one need. And at 31, they're going to get a better value on cornerback than they are on offensive linemen, except for maybe the center from Iowa. I think the plus 115, if I were doing it today, I would want probably plus 150 or plus 160. At the time, I still think it was good return on investment, but circumstances have changed and it became a play that I'm not proud of, but my reasoning at the time was good. So I'm, I'm kind of giving your listeners a, an idea of what I went through in terms of the process, mm-hmm. but it wouldn't be a play that I would make right now. Great point. So. I, example I, appreciate, good,
0: yeah. I appreciate your honesty. I mean, that is the greatest thing you can <laughs> say. I mean, we think through things and then we miss things that could happen all the time as a sports better. And you pointed out a flaw that you had, which I'm very gracious that you did. I mean, people that do this are the most trustable people that you can find in the media, online, wherever you follow them. That is very important. And since you brought that up, I'll bring up a quick one of mine. I, I drafted, a, I thought a quarterback would be selected first. I thought, and I did this about two months ago um, before the NCAA tournament, all that. I, it, I took all three around the 50 to 60 to 1, so it's probably 18 to 1, right? And I made small plays on it. I just thought that you know one of these is going to hit because Jacksonville is going to be able to dump that. But what we learned to find out is the quarterback did not get in. No one fell in love with one, and with right, correct reason. I thought that you know people are going to be dying for picket. I thought that Carolina would be overly excited and find a way to move up and. And you, you say they should move down, which I don't disagree. I thought the lions might want to move up and maybe that still could happen, but I sure as hell wouldn't make that bet again today. So I want to point that out as well, Ron, yeah. but
1: uh, th- thank you for your honesty. Yeah. yeah. I think it's, again, it's every time we make a play, we're looking at what, what should the odds be? And sometimes you have to think not what we would do, but what the GMs would do because, that's what your bet is. What they're going to do, even if you strongly disagree with their philosophy. And believe me, there's some GMs I never want to think alike with them because I think they're very poor drafters over time. But you have to put yourself in their shoes and and what's their track record. And I, I try to study the long term GMs to see what I think uh, they're going to be doing.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That's that's what you need to do is try to find out what you know what their goals are in their team, how they want to build their team. Are they new yeah. switching from another team GM? This team, this GM has been here for a while. What are some of his tendencies? What does he care about? Does he care about trenches? Does he care about flash? You know, does he care about uh, cornerbacks over edge rushers? It really, it's really important to know that. Uh, and so why don't you give us your, one of your good ones then that you mentioned. Yeah.
1: Today? Better give you a good one. Um, well, one that I'm proud of that I'm against the grain on would be uh Gardner from Cincinnati, a shutdown cornerback where his prop is anywhere from under seven and a half to under ten and a half. I don't know who got the ten and a half, but that's a great deal. But it's out there. But under seven and a half is the prevailing number. And I, I have him going um, anywhere from four to seven. And I still like that play. It's pretty much a 50 50 play. It's still out there. Uh, I think the Jeffs and the Giants are in contention for a number of positions. Offensive lineman, cornerback, edge rusher. And I personally think he doesn't get past seven. So I sort of like that play. It's available. The one that's not available that I like was who would be the first Georgia person, the Georgia draftee selected. It was Trayvon Walker before he got all this buzz against, uh, I believe it was Dean, the linebacker. And Davis, the defensive tackle. And in my research, defensive tackles usually get slotted, uh, you know, they go a little bit later because they could be two down guys instead of three down guys. Everybody values edge rushers. Right. Now, you talked about juice. How many people want to lay a lot of juice? But again, it's return on investment more than juice. I had to lay minus 175 with Walker. And that meant I have to win that play pretty close to two out of every three times to get a decent return on investment. Um, and that's what I believed. I believed that it was in the 80%. I believed that I could win that play four out of every five times. Um, if you believe that you could only win that play two out of every three times, I'm not sure you should make the play because you're, you're giving yourself a very low threshold for profit. Um, but because I had an 80% profit, I, I did lay the 175. That was in the time like of- with Walker top five or no one uh no who would go first okay who would go first of, the, of those three players walker davis and uh dean the linebacker who's very very good but you oh. know, walker plays the most important position of the three
0: that's great it's great prop i mean he's
1: slight in the top five you know right now yeah he's, he's he's really moved
0: yeah yeah i mean minus trayvon walker is the top top five play at DraftKings at minus 550. Then Ike yeah. is minus 280. Evan Neal is minus 250. Kavion and Tibio, Thibodeau is minus 100. Ahmad Gardner is plus 135. And if you talk, want to talk about Ahmad Gardner, top 10, like you mentioned before, he's the top, he, He's actually the favorite to go top 10, which is minus yeah. 500. So they know that Ahmad, he's going to be really hot coming into this draft here and i'm not even sh- sure that minus 500 is not bad value there <laughs> I'd, I'd have to really uh yeah. check out how missable he is i guess but geez man that is that's some great bets you played you you placed this year Ron. so uh fantastic job man well we're out of time where could our listeners and viewers follow you check out your shows and great get your great information
1: Oh, I'm. uh, We do the Inside Butch show with Las Vegas Chris, who's uh, very well known and uh, certainly one a friend, and gives a wealth of information. And my longtime friend and uh, inside knowledge, uh, Ted Sobel, um, he's available as well. We do that podcast. We don't have set times. We, we do them as we think of current topics, but we're one or two times a week. We'll have some guests on as well. We had Kiev on our show just last week. So and this is draft season. You can find me there. Um, I'll be tweeting out where some of my stuff may be available because I'm starting to publish some of the stuff uh, as opposed to keeping it a secret. Um, and good luck with everybody's play and, and Kiev uh, special thanks for having me on
0: yes thank you for coming on Ron follow Ron at Ron Ace Sports all right time for a little UFC on ESPN 34 Vicente Luque versus Bilal Mohammed. now I'm just going to say right now that this card isn't all that great to me I mean the co-made event is two guys that's never even fought in the UFC. They both have won their lower federations in the Dana White Contender Series. Uh, Chau Borallo versus uh, Gadzi Omar Garcia. And just to be honest with you, I don't know anything about these guys. I tried to watch some of their stuff and I'm not convinced on either side. I guess I would lead in the dog a little bit for that one. But uh I mean the card itself isn't all that impressive. And the reason that is, is because you're going right after a big UFC 273 card. And obviously some other fighters uh dropped out earlier. But what I will say that I think there is a little bit of value, especially here on the main event. I mean, this fight has happened before, Luke versus Bilal Mohammed, and it was a long time ago. It was back in 2016, November 12th. So Roughly a little over five years ago, five and a half, even now that it's April, right? um Luke took care of Bilal Mohammed, right? Easily. It was a KO in the first round. And Luke, you know, coming in with a lot of confidence after that, then he fought Leon Edwards and lost in a decision. Ever since that fight, his only loss, well, like 10 fights later, his only loss was Steven Thompson uh, in a decision in a very strange fight. I don't, I don't think he was completely right for that fight. But Luke is still a fierce, top of the line, top three, top four contender in the welterweight uh, division of 170, right? I, I think that Luke is probably slightly under Chimaev. I, I would go. Probably Usman, Covington for now, Chimaev, Edwards, Luke, and then Burns, in my opinion. I think any of those top five is fine. But Mohamed is actually listed in the top six in the UFC website in the rankings. But here's the thing about Mohamed. He is very vulnerable. I mean, obviously, we saw that fight versus Edwards not too long ago with the eye poke well Mohammed was going to get his ass kicked if he didn't get that no contest because the eye poke he was losing that fight and let's just kind of look at what he's done since that loss he's fought in about 11 12 fights himself and his only loss was to Jeff Neal and that no contest to Leon Edwards but the guys he fought Stephen Thompson um, that was a unanimous decision Um, was kind of a wrestling match and that's the guy that beat luke then it was demi and maya and maya was at the end of his career (laughs) really at that point i know uh i I think he might be retired actually now diago lima lyman good takashi sato just some no names uh tim means you know he he didn't beat anybody in my opinion, that's all that good. And I think he's going to be stepping up into the top five class again, which he's going to get beat again against Luke. A. If you look at Luke, a, he just matches up a lot better. He's fought in plenty of wrestlers before. 5.65 significant strikes. Bilal is 4.55. Um, obviously, Bilal's a wrestler, but Luke a knows how to fend it off. I just see this fight ending for Mohamed. Now, Mohamed should try to play the smart game and try to win with the points, similar to what Sterling did to Jan, but I don't think it's going to be enough. And I also don't think that it warrants uh, only minus 180 on Luke. I think Luke should be a minus 250 favorite minimum in this situation, just because well, Luke obviously beat him before pretty easily in the first round. And Luque is the more powerful fighter in this situation i think that uh luke knows what to expect coming into this fight and luke is a little bit younger and i just think technically he's going to beat below just with his striking i think minus 180 is a little too low and we're going to take that for two stars the last fight i really want to touch on here and I'm not done handicapping the full car to be done by Friday night Saturday morning for premium subscribers is the Myra Bueno Silva fight versus Wu Yan and Bueno Silva is just a massive favorite at minus 420. I mean, Wu Yanin is plus 330, but why the heck is she this much of a favorite? Wu is an inch and a half taller, 5'8", listed to 5'7", in some places for Silva's 5'6". The reach is about the same. Um, if you look at takedowns, Wu Yanin has better takedowns. She has better striking, 45 to 3.82 significant strikes. So, you know, you're kind of looking at this fight. Bueno Silva's got a better name, in my opinion. I I think that she's getting a bump because of her name. But Yanin Wu has fought in in the UFC three times against some pretty good fighters. Jocelyn Edwards, she lost in a decision. She lost in a split decision to, to Mizuki Inoue, And... I just thought that she hasn't really done a lot different than Bueno Silva has. I look at Bueno Silva, lost to Fjord, and that's fine. Manon Fjord beats everybody. Then she had a draw against Montana De La Rosa, um, beat Mara Romano Borela back in 2020, and then lost to Marna Morose back in 2020 as well. And Jillian Robertson, I guess, was her first UFC fight, and she ended up getting Jillian in that arm bar, And that's probably what's putting her over the top here at the uh, massive favorite here. But at the same time, I think just the number itself at plus 330 is a bit out of whack here. I also think that Yannin uh, is fighting for her UFC future, being that you know, she's only been in the... UFC for about four fights and she's lost three of them she's gonna be a little bit more desperate here I wanted to talk myself into taking Marna Bueno Silva at by decision that's only at like minus 100 right or plus 100 plus 120 in some books it's not massive and I just think the plus 330 on Janen's side. If she has like a 40% chance of winning or so, it's just a much better value than taking Marna. So I'm gonna go a half unit on Yan and Wu at the plus 330. And I think she has a good shot to win this one outright. My friends, if you have any questions about the UFC or anything else, please feel free to tweet us at the oddsbreakers. Tweet me at OBK. A huge thanks to Ron Ace Sports for coming on, discussing the NFL draft. Have a great rest of your week. And go get some wind